No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended what God has in store for those who love Him. I think it's a fairly familiar passage if you've been around the church for any length of time. And automatically, at least in my mind, I go right to heaven when I think about that verse. But I want us to back up just a little bit and see that verse in its context. When we back it up, we find out that the Apostle Paul is actually quoting and adapting some verses from Isaiah the prophet. And he's using it to talk about the way that the prophets imagined and hoped for and longed for the coming of the Messiah and the Messianic age. This was the great hope of the prophets. And it was the great hope of Isaiah. And we find that in the passage that Paul uses and quotes from. But for Isaiah and the prophets, the coming of the Messiah was a real mystery. They, they just couldn't imagine how it would come about. They didn't know what the Messiah would look like. They didn't know at what time exactly he would come. There was, there was a lot of mystery around the coming of the Messiah. But even though there was a lot of mystery, they held on to the promise. But now, says Paul, by God's Spirit, the mystery of the Messiah has been revealed. It's been revealed in Jesus Christ. And so the impossible that the prophets imagined has now become a reality. So Paul says, by God's Spirit, this mystery of the gospel has now been revealed to us. Well, what does that mean for us when we start thinking about heaven? Well, I think in some ways we're like Isaiah, the prophet. And in other ways, we're like Paul, the apostle. Like Isaiah, we lack the experience and we even lack the capacity to fully understand or comprehend what heaven will be like. It's kind of like a baby in the womb. The baby just can't imagine, doesn't have the experience or the capacity even to comprehend the entire world that is just a thin wall away. And yet that world is a reality that it soon will experience. And though the child in the womb might be able to hear some sounds and those kind of things, it, it doesn't have the ability to fully interpret what that means. And yet it will come into that reality. And so we're kind of like Isaiah and that child. We're longing for heaven, we're waiting for heaven, but we lack the experience, the capacity, the ability to fully understand what it's going to be like. But we're also like Paul. We're like Paul in that we have the Spirit of God with us. And the Spirit of God has revealed to us what we need to know about heaven. The Spirit of God has revealed to us through the Scriptures. But the Spirit of God also testifies with our own spirit. What is the truth? And if we listen to the Spirit, we will know the truth and will be led into the truth. And so that's the, both the, the hope and also the restrictions that we have as we think about heaven. We have the imagination of the prophets, but we also have the limitation that the Spirit brings in saying, this is what you need to know. Make sure you pay attention to this truth and you're good to go. Hold on to the promise, even though there's a lot of mystery about heaven. Now, one of the things that we have and that we've been given by God and by His Spirit is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And this is my big encouragement in this whole series. Instead of wondering so much about heaven, maybe start to focus on the hope of the resurrection. That was the hope of the early church. Because they had seen Jesus risen again from the dead, they knew that Jesus was the first fruits and they wanted to be part of the bigger harvest 
And so do we. And so that's the promise that we hold on to. That's the reality that we see. So when it comes to questions about heaven, and there's lots of questions about heaven, uh, we sometimes lack the capacity and the experience to understand heaven fully, but we still hold on to the promise, to the reality of what's to come. We've had a lot of questions over this time, and maybe you have too. Hopefully, this series has sparked some conversation, some excitement maybe even, some wondering about heaven. And many of you have sent in questions to me. I know all through the years in my journey as a follower of Jesus, there's been lots of questions. I love the, the stories my mom tells of when she was a Sunday school teacher and one of the little boys coming up and saying, but Mrs. Simpson, will there be a bathroom in heaven? We have those questions too, don't we? The very practical questions. Or my mom tells a story of an older gentleman and there's a, a conversation about what language there would be in heaven. And he said, there will be one language, German. And I say, das ist nicht so gut, because we don't all speak German. But we wonder some of those questions at times, don't we? The real practical ones, the ones that we, we talk about among friends or maybe just by ourselves. But today I want to address three top questions that have been sent in to me by people that have been emailing me and in conversation with me over this past month. So we're going to start right now with the top question, question number one. So the top question is this, will we know one another in heaven? That's the question that seems to be on lots of people's minds and hearts. And I think that's a really good sign because it shows how much we value relationships. We value relationships with our family, with our friends, and we want to have a sense of eternal value in those relationships. And I would say the simple answer to that question is yes. From a logical point of view even, I don't think that when we get to heaven we'll be less intelligent than we are now. Um, if we are, then some of us are in big trouble. But I think we'll have a clearer understanding of things, a clearer representation of who we are to one another. But also from a biblical point of view, we have a number of different hints that personal knowledge of one another will continue as we head into the life that is to come. One of the big uh, indicators that we have is that Jesus was recognized after his resurrection. Even though he was transformed, even though he was different in very special and unique ways, he was still recognized. Now, we have a couple of instances like Mary in the garden, who at first mistook him for the gardener. But you have to remember that she was overwhelmed with grief, not looking up. But as soon as she heard his voice, she recognized him. And then we have the two disciples walking the Emmaus road. And at first they didn't recognize Jesus, but the, the passage tells us very specifically that his identity was hidden from them from a time. But when Jesus left them, they said, our hearts burned within us. We knew, we knew this. And so we find that other people recognize Jesus for different reasons, like Thomas recognizing Jesus because of the scars in his, his hand and his side. Or John, while they were fishing, he recognized that it was Jesus standing on the shore and he whispers to Peter, it's the Lord. What does Peter do? He jumps in the water and swims for shore. There was a recognition of Jesus post-resurrection. And remember, we want to look to the resurrection of Jesus as an indicator of what we will be like in the resurrection. And so there's a sense of personal relationship 
and personal knowledge and personal recognition that continues. There's another indication that we have given by Paul. Paul often talked to the churches about the joy that they were going to have when they were reunited in glory. And he also says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. This was meant to be a huge comfort for those who had lost loved ones who were believers in Jesus Christ. And the comfort was that one day there would be a happy reunion. Well, it wouldn't be much of a reunion if they didn't know each other, right? And so that's part of the promise. That's part of the comfort is that we'll be reunited and will in some capacity know one another. Well, I want to take it a step further because this knowledge of one another might even go beyond physical appearance. In Matthew chapter 17 and other parts of the gospel, we read about the transfiguration of Jesus. This is the time when he took three of his close disciples who went up on the mountain and he was changed. He revealed something of his glorified state to the disciples. But there were also two other characters that appeared with Jesus at the same time. And listen to what Peter says. Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What an interesting statement. Not only that Peter was a man of action and wanted to do something in this great worship scene, that's of course Peter, but also that he knew that it was Moses and Elijah. We're not told if they were introduced or if there was some characteristic, but there was some recognition of Moses and Elijah, even though Peter had never met them, of course. And so it makes us wonder, how? How will we recognize each other? Maybe it goes beyond the physical. Maybe there's something else that we'll be able to see more clearly in how we relate to one another. But on the very most basic level, we will know one another in heaven. If this recognition does go beyond sort of a physical thing, I want to say that's a very good thing for us as well. Because in heaven, if you're looking for me, I won't be bald. So you got to look for the man with the shaggy mop of hair. Yes, we will know one another in heaven. But how we will, that remains to be seen. The second question is related to the first, but is a little bit more specific and gets a little more tricky. Will we have our memories in heaven? Now, there's no talk of a memory wipe when we go to the other side. There's no talk of a memory wipe when we enter in to the world that has come. But there is a verse that often confuses people, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17. The verse says this, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Let's just stop there for a minute and just remember that the idea of a new heavens and new earth, it's not just a New Testament idea. It's not something that's introduced by John or by Jesus or Paul, the apostles. This is a long lasting thing that comes from the prophets, this promise of new heavens and new earth. So that's the trajectory that we're in. So back to the verse. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now, sometimes when people read that verse in isolation, they, they assume that our memories will be wiped. We won't remember that which was part of the former things or the former life. But as we expand into the context of that verse, 
we realize that something else is being talked about here. In the context, the former things refers to the sins that were being committed by the people. And God is saying that these sinful actions will not be remembered in that they won't be held against them. They won't be brought up at the trial. They won't be held against the people. They'll be forgotten in that sense. So while God will choose not to remember our sinful actions or hold them against us, what about us? Will we have our memories? Will we remember our mistakes, our hurtful actions against others, our sins against God and humanity? Will we remember our regrets? What about remembering those who didn't make it to heaven because they didn't accept the offer of salvation that's found in Jesus? Won't this, these memories cause a sense of sadness, a sense of loss? Well, we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. It says that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain for the order of things have passed away. And so we have this promise that there won't be these tears and this sadness and this sorrow and this mourning and this death. So how do we uh, draw these two concepts together? Well, first, we will need to remember something of our sin. Because how can we praise God for his salvation if we don't remember what we've been saved from? And we find that all over Revelation. There's this praise that goes up to God for his great salvation. So obviously there's a kind of memory that lasts of our sinful actions in the sinful world and what we have been saved from. Even the martyrs that are talked about in the book of Revelation, they remember their martyrdom and they cry out, how long till we see justice? How long till we see your kingdom come? So I would say that we will remember even the bad things, but we will see clearly because we'll no longer be looking through a dark glass. And because of that, our memories, even the painful ones, will cause us to respond with gratitude, with love, and with praise toward God, because we'll clearly understand His ultimate plan. So we will remember our sins, but we'll see very clearly that God has forgiven us our sins and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We will, I think, remember our regrets and mistakes, but we'll see very clearly how God works all things together for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I think we'll even remember those who made the choice to reject God's offer of salvation because we will be able to see clearly that God was patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So because we will see clearly, these memories will be redeemed by God so that they will turn into praise at the clear understanding of God's work and God's path and God's glory. So we will remember, but without sadness or pain, because our joy will be complete in Christ. The final question that we need to address today, at least, is this. What will we do in heaven? I mean... Won't it be just so boring? Well, my simple answer is no, it won't be. Now, when we talk about what we're going to do in heaven, I want us to talk about the final state of heaven, something the Bible calls the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. 
I'm not talking about the current state, the temporary state, the place where people go now, the place that Paul the Apostle calls being asleep in the Lord, the place that Jesus calls the Father's house, this kind of waiting period, this waiting time for the new heavens and the new earth. So when we talk about what we're going to do, I want to talk about the new creation scenario. So this is post-resurrection, because I think we have the clearest idea of what happens then. The reality of the new creation is actually way more exciting than I think we can even imagine. I think we just need to look to Adam and Eve in the garden and understand that Adam and Eve in the garden weren't sitting around bored all day. They had work to do. They had a purpose in life. Their three big jobs were creation care, community building, and communion with God. I mean, if we just start and stop there, what a wonderful thing to give your whole life to creation care, community building, and communion with God. I mean, if you want to prepare for heaven in a very real way, give yourself to those three tasks, creation care, com community building, and communion with God, and you'll be well set for heaven. So I think we'll have things to do. But also as we turn to books like Revelation, we learn that there's going to be times of praising God together. There's going to be times of serving God. There's even talk of ruling and reigning with Christ over all of creation. There's purpose. There's, there's tasks. There's fulfillment. There's energy that we need in order to do these kind of things. The other thing is we won't suddenly be all-knowing or everywhere present. That's not the way heaven works. That's not what we're told. Only God is all-knowing and everywhere present, which means there's still a capacity to, to develop in learning. I think we're still going to learn new things. I still think we're going to explore new places. We'll have the opportunity to grow even in heaven, yet without the hindrance of the sinful world or the fallen creation. Won't that be amazing to be able to learn in that way? So there'll be room to learn and grow and try new things and explore, to work and play and worship and maybe catch up with Moses and Peter. And uh, I'm going to have lots of visits with my dad. And if you come along, I'll introduce them to you. It's that kind of reality that we're dealing with as we think about that. For those who love music and love to worship through music, just I want you to think right now of your most spirit-filled, uh, amazing worship experience. Could you handle a few more experiences like that? I bet you could. How exciting would that be? Would that be boring for you? Not at all. Or for those who love to be out in the garden, uh, tending the soil and seeing the, the beauty of flowers come up and, and fruit be produced. Now, Think of cultivating the earth without that pain in your knee or your ankle or without the hindrance of the pain in your hand. And you're able to work the garden to all your delight. Would you like to do that? That's something that is a possibility, I think, in the new creation. How exciting is that? How about those who just love adventure? Uh, last year, last summer, uh, my whole family, that my girls and, and Christine, we went down to Waterton Park. And we explored Red Rock Canyon. We walked as far as we could up the river. And it was an amazing day. It was one of my favorite days of the pandemic time because I was with my family. We went for a road trip. We had an, an adventure and we ate good food. Could I do that again? Absolutely. I would do it again and again and again. 
So we love these things and we see it. How about all the foodies out there that just love to try and sample things? There's so much talk about banquets in heaven. And the wonderful thing is that people from every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation will be gathered at the table. Or for those who like to just sit and listen and be quiet and maybe even listen to their own thoughts. There's room for that too. So here's my point. We will worship. We will explore. We will serve. We will learn. We will feast. And we will sit still in God's presence. There will be a wonderful opportunity in the new creation. One thing is for certain, we will not be bored. This is the kind of heaven that the New Testament paints for us. Heaven is not some permanent disembodied state floating in the clouds and playing harps. We have the promise of resurrected bodies if we are believers in Jesus Christ. And we have the promise of a new creation to explore. And so finally, as we wrap this up, and I know there's so many more questions, I encourage you to keep exploring. Keep reading some good books on heaven, but go back again and again to the scripture and hold on to those core promises. But also realize this. This doctrine, this teaching of heaven, it isn't meant to simply fire up our imaginations and get us all excited. That, that happens, and that's fine. That's good. But it's actually a very practical teaching. It's meant to have an impact on the way we live our lives today. That's why it's mentioned time and again about the resurrection and the new creation that we're heading toward. It's, it's meant to bring comfort to us, to those who have, that those who have fallen asleep in Christ are not lost. They are at rest and will be united with us again when Christ returns. So it's meant to bring comfort. I hope you're comforted by the teaching on heaven today. It's also meant to give us personal hope. That if we believe in Christ, that death does not have the final say. Death does not have the final victory. There's literally a world of exploration awaiting for us beyond the grave. It's meant to give us that kind of hope. It's also meant to challenge our current values. Are we investing in the things that truly last? Are we laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven? Or are we just investing in this tent this temporary body and this temporary situation that we find ourselves in. Where is our treasure today? And then it's also meant to motivate us. It's meant to motivate us to share the good news about Jesus Christ and the possibility of a life beyond the grave, of this incredible hope we have of the resurrection. Where it's meant to motivate us to share it with others so that they will join with us in this new creation. Because we know that although the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I know we don't know all the answers to all the questions we have, but I really want us to hold on to this. When we ask the question, where is heaven? We know that it is with Jesus. When we ask the question, what is heaven like? We know that we will be like Jesus. And when we ask the question, who will be in heaven? We know that it is those who are found in Jesus. Heaven is real. It's a reality. And if we, our eyes can't see and our ears can't hear and our mind can't conceive, it doesn't take away from the reality that is heaven. 
But God's Spirit has given us everything we need in the testimony of Scripture and the personal witness of His Spirit to be confident of our place in heaven. So my final question for you is this. Will you be there?